time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. It's Monday, March 8, 2021. It's good to have you here. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals every week, and we're so grateful to have you here as our listener. Our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format you can listen to anytime and anywhere. In our Hot Topics segment, we're going to be continuing our discussion, which we started last week with Jim and Jeannie Blanchard. We're talking about recruiting and building healthy, strong companies, and I'm so honored to have joining us today, Mr. Bill Cosgrove, President and CEO of Union Home Mortgage. We're talking about recruiting world-class talent. How do you do it? How does someone like Bill, who's been in the business for so long, and I've interviewed Bill for the Lickin' on Leadership podcast, and he's one of the few folks that didn't get into this industry like most of us did by accident. You got to go listen to his interview that I did with him that's posted on the Lickin' on Leadership podcast. He got in the industry intentionally by purpose, and he has built a company intentionally. It's one of the largest, one of the most successful companies. Those of us in the independent mortgage banking world are so grateful to Bill because he also, while chairman of the NBA, was started the Independent Mortgage Bankers Group. So IMB really became the conference, was under Bill's leadership there. And so we're so grateful to have him. So stay tuned all the way through to the Hot Topic segment. And we get to listen to Mr. Cosgrove. Want to say a special thank you to IndustrySyndicate.com. They're part of the podcast. Again, we're one of the first out there, but Industry Syndicate now has done a great job of helping getting out and publishing all the podcasts related to the mortgage industry. If you're looking for great content, go to IndustrySyndicate.com and they are about the mortgage industry. And there's also some real estate programs related to that, but it's all basically about real estate and real estate finance. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. Again, we had Michael Fred Tony on January 4th. Be sure to go listen to that interview. We also want to say thank you to Finastra, whose Fusion Bot Mortgage Solution really helps you as lenders experience the power of a fully integrated approach to mortgage lending. A lot of systems say they are fully integrated. This one really truly is. It'll help you engage with borrowers and create a greater experience for your borrowers. We again interviewed on January 11th, Dan Putney. We're so pleased to be a part of two great co-ops, Lenders One, as well as the, the Mortgage Collaborative. And by the way, Bill Cosgrove, who's going to be on our guest on the Hot Topic, was one of the founders of the Mortgage Collaborative. So very excited to be a part of both of these. Be sure to check out both of these on our website, Looking on Lending, to hear how you would learn more about these two. We are members of both, and I recommend people consider both. It may sound like that's also extravagant, but you'll you find out there's wonderful nuances and differences between the two. But the most important our association you need to be a part of, above all of them, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. Also, we are proud to have the Community Mortgage Lenders of America as a sponsor. They do a great job working with some of the smaller lenders out there, CMLA. Also, Indicom, Alice's old company, partners with lenders and servicers, mortgage insurers, and title insurance companies to achieve one specific goal, to help them grow. Check out the interview with Linda Barmar, August 31st, 2020. Also, Josh Friend has a company by the name of Incelerate. Helps lenders close more loans by radically changing how lenders can 
communicate and engage with borrowers. He's got a great CRM, some technology, but most importantly, some best practices. If you have not had a conversation with Josh Friend, do so. It'll be probably the best 15, 20 minutes that you could invest, especially as you're looking at how to engage more effectively borrowers. Also, Knowledge Coop, our good friend, Ken has a knowledge coop up there and does a great job with helping you train your people. Also, Mobility RE and Modex. Both of these companies are brilliant in how they give you real-time information about who you're recruiting as far as it relates to their production status. Also, some of the things they can do to help you connect with the right realtors, especially as we're seeing this market shift to a purchase market. These two tools will help you. So check out Mobility RE, also Mobility MMI, Mortgage Market Intelligence, and Modex. Love both these companies. We use both of them in consulting with our clients. Also, special thank you to all of our regulars, Alice, Allen, and Matt. We're going to get right into this week's MBA Mortgage Minute with Rob Van Forest. Rob, what you got for us this week? Hi, I'm Rob Van Rappers. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, the CFPB issued a notice of proposed rulemaking to delay the mandatory compliance date of the General Qualified Mortgage Rule. The proposal would delay the compliance date from July 1st, 2021 to October 1st, 2022. The deadline for NPR comments is April 5th, 2021. Also last week, FHFA announced that it authorized Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to release $1.9 billion in affordable housing allocations, more than double last year's disbursement. By law, 65% of the funds will be allocated to the Housing Trust Fund operated by HUD, with the remaining 35% allocated to the Capital Magnet Fund operated by the Treasury Department. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Good job, Rob. Appreciate you recording that and sending that in. Love to get uh, the MBA Mortgage Bennett. Of course, you should be become a member of the MBA. Everyone should be. Trisha Magliazzi will make sure that happens. Be sure to get over to the website. But also, if for whatever reason, choose not to become a part of the MBA. Again, you should. At least get active with the Mortgage Action Alliance. It'll help you have your voice heard on the Hill. And it's so important because you look at the size of our lobby base. It's so important that we have all the voices heard, even those that are not members. And I'm so thrilled that when David Stevens back in the old days launched that with the team there and they opened it up so that we could have as many voices working with the NBA on the Hill, making sure we get our cause heard. And understood. Let's get over to Les Parker with this week's TM Spotlight and a macro view of the markets. Les? TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. So, Ben, you keep waiting, tired of waiting for news. Powell Coot and Bonds Food. Last week, Fed Chairman Powell told the world to ignore current inflation because it takes years to change the psychology of markets addicted to low inflation. He says, trust the Fed. We won't let inflation get out of hand. Does the Fed realize that news travels in nanoseconds? Bonds do. The healthy debate between investors and the Fed continues. Is the current rise in prices lasting or fleeting? So Fed, be transparent, honest, and quick. Please don't keep bonds waiting. These views are my own. Want more? Go to tmspotlight.com. That's good. Yeah, that's the work of Gary Canterbone and Les Parker teaming up with their music parodies, Les's music parodies. You'll find those always in his newsletter. Be sure to sign up for his newsletter, TM Spotlight. And when you do, you can use the word power or power seller and you'll get Les's paid version for free. 
great information in there. I've been reading it for 30 plus years and uh, always loaded up with great information. Talk about someone who's loaded up with great information, doing his best to share it with us each and every week as we have Matt Graham here, founder and CEO of MBS Live. Got his screen right behind me, always on and always bring me the latest information. Matt Graham. Good to have you here. What's going on? First off, Dave, I'm surprised you've been reading Les's newsletter since you were, what, like five, <laughs> 10 years old? And you've been reading yeah, it for 30 years. And I've been reading it for probably 34 years, if, if you could actually count. So that's crazy. That's what happens when you're 70 years old. Yeah. It's a long time. It's an addiction, I think, as much as it's anything else. But I'm looking for at sure. your screen here. The 10-year, we're testing highs here, man. What's happening? 1059? Yeah, or- he's screaming. Let's heat it up for us, man, because it, it was really all about Powell last week. And that was kind of all about Powell heading into the week. We talked about that a bit last Monday, and it turns out that it was probably even a bigger deal than anticipated. And that was very odd to me personally. I'll talk about why in a second, but uh, very fascinating stuff going on. So in a general sense, we know we have the rising rate environment, and that can just really be talked about broadly in terms of the fight back against COVID. And as COVID recedes and vaccines proliferate, then we can price in a reality where this 1.3, 1.4 range in the 10-year yield, which used to be the all-time low, can maybe be the low again. Mm. That's not to say we can't get below that in 2021 for a few different reasons, just that if we're heading back to a reality without COVID, then maybe we should head back to a rate range from before COVID existed. Sort of that simple. But nuts and bolts here. Heading into last week, what we had in relation to this rate spike was other central banks around the world taking note of the rate spike and saying, hey, we're not going to let things get too bad. That could sort of hamper our policy efforts. And we want to make sure that if we're going to all this effort to provide accommodation, that it's actually having a benefit. And if rates spike too much, it won't have as much of a benefit. And the buzz began to grow and clamor began to increase for the Fed to do something similar, even if it was only by way of saying something verbally that, hey, markets, we got your back. If rates get too high, don't worry about it. And while they've kind of said that, they have also said, no, hey, guys, rates this high makes sense in this economy. It's a sign that things are going as expected and they're not a concern for us right now. So markets naturally freaked out about that. Uh, They (laughs) like to call the Fed's bluff in those situations and then uh, force the Fed to ultimately say something. But the Fed has continued to refuse. And that's why Thursday was so interesting last week, because we had the man himself Fed Chair Powell, one of the last speeches before the Fed enters its blackout period, which is the week leading up to the next meeting where they don't have official policy communications, where they don't give speeches. And so we could rest reasonably assured that he was going to address what everybody was hoping he was going to address. We were so assured that some journalists and analysts started talking about Operation Twist 3.0 and reintroducing this notion of the Fed extending the weighted average maturity or WAM of their bond portfolio. This, if you recall, Dave, is a topic we broached back in December leading up to that Fed meeting. We were looking, well, we knew the Fed was going to comment on Twist. And uh, Twist, by the way, for listeners, that just refers to the Fed selling shorter term bonds and buying the same dollar amount of longer term bonds. So they're not increasing the size of their balance sheet, but they are providing more accommodation. 
and helping longer term rates like mortgages move lower. Anyway, we knew Powell was going to say something. We didn't know it was going to be about twist, but the buzz sort of ramped up that, hey, now the Fed could announce twist again. And I wish we had a podcast last Wednesday night or Thursday morning because I thought that was absolutely (laughs) crazy. And the title of my commentary piece on Thursday morning is markets are setting up for disappointment from Powell, something to that effect anyway, because there was no way that he was ever going to reinvigorate the twist program. It's easy to say in hindsight, but again, we can point to numerous Fed speeches in recent weeks where they have said, hey, we talked about that in December. We're not doing twist and we're also cool with rates and things are going as expected. So go about your business, go spend money, don't get COVID, wear a mask. Bye. And for all intents and purposes, while Powell did continue to be very realistic about the economic challenges ahead, which he's done a good job of throughout recent speeches, he completely avoided the topic of uh, twist, even though the WSJ reporter, Nick Timrows, who does a great job, by the way, lobbed him numerous softballs uh, to let Powell comment on that. Powell went out of his way not to talk about it. And Marcus kind of freaked out about that because it's like, is he oblivious or are they just no, uh, okay, I guess Powell wants rates to go higher. And that was the takeaway. And, and really, out in the trading community and the analytical community, people are viewing this as Powell giving the bond market a green light to steepen and sell off further in the long end of the yield curve. Don't know how much farther that's going to go, but we're looking at a range of 1.4 to 1.8 in the 10-year Treasury yield, where we likely get some sort of consolidative support building. Now, that's not very avant-garde analysis because we're already over 1.4. So that's just saying, hey, we'll probably uh, consolidate and find some support before we get up to 1.8. One would certainly hope that would be the case and probably assume that would be the case based on the size of past sell-offs. The only thing that we need to keep in mind is that it's hard to compare the current environment to past sell-offs just because of the uniqueness of the environment leading up to it. Right. So anyway, bonds tanked because Powell's stuck to his same old script. Uh, They were tanking before Powell as well, and despite weak economic data. So this may have been sort of the trade that was in play for the week, and maybe traders were waiting to see if Powell had something friendly to say. And then they tanked some more on Friday after a stellar jobs report. And if you pay any attention to economic data, you probably heard about that one. 379,000 payrolls versus 182 forecast and a big revision to the previous week. And initially, bad reaction bonds, but bonds recovered really nicely. And a lot of people on MBS Live dashboard in the chat were talking about, oh, this is it. This is the bounce. Bonds are going to come back now. But I reminded them on Friday and remind anybody on a Friday afternoon after a big sell-off has a nice bounce that, hey, we could just be seeing short sellers covering their bets, which involves bond buying and leveling off. And then, of course, heading into this week, here we are flat to slightly weaker, just confirming all of the pain that we have experienced recently. But at least that pain was offset by a pretty stellar year for almost every originator and mortgage market participant in terms of 2020. As far as this week, lighter on the economic data front. Looking at your screen, looking at the calendar right now with the This Week tab. That's right. Lighter economic data this week. We do have the Treasury auction cycle and a ton of corporate bond issuance both of those things are going to keep pressure on bonds, at least through Wednesday, Thursday timeframe. If we are going to get a bounce this week, that's when I would look for it. And it would likely have something to do with treasury auctions. Inflation data, 
three different reports speak to inflation this week. The headliner would be core CPI on Wednesday at 8.30 a.m. I don't think the market is quite yet ready to pay a ton of attention to those reports because we have to get through April and May's reports because those are the ones that will have been affected and distorted by base defects, meaning the year-ago numbers were so low that they're going to make the year-over-year numbers look higher in the two uh, subsequent reports. This one won't be affected by that, but the next two will. It'll be interesting to see how the bond market digests that. Do they understand that, or are they going to freak out when they see the bigger number? I think most traders understand it, but it'll still be interesting to see. And then consumer inflation expectations as a part of uh, consumer sentiment on Friday. But that is basically it for this week. And just keeping our fingers crossed for some support here. Yeah, well, no kidding. Hopefully you don't break through. Um, Looking at, I was reading over the weekend, the advisorsperspective.com, and they had a really interesting graph on here. And it's something that you've been talking about, and it's going to the wisdom that you have, but it's real interesting. Sometimes picture's worth a thousand words, but it's Wolf Street actually put together this graph, uh, wolfstreet.com, and it's comparing the U.S. Treasury to the Freddie Mac rate. And you look at the drop of the spread between the 10-year and the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, and it goes right back to what we saw happening. Yep. And you've been talking about this. So that's something I'd love to get your perspective on, this graph. And it is, quite frankly, I don't know if it's alarming is the right word, or it's like, should we be alarmed? But it's a precipitous drop mirroring exactly what we saw back in 2009. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Very interesting stuff. Yeah, no problem. Do you want 30 seconds of thoughts now or just tackle seconds. it next week? Yeah. Yeah, sure thing. So here we go. The spread from mortgage rates to 10-year is the sharpest one because it's compounded by a ton of tightening between mortgage rates and MBS as well. And going back to really, we're in the range. We're in the the zone that we've been in since 2011, middle of 2011. Mm -hmm. And that's just fine. I don't think it speaks to anything happening in the future. That drop speaks to things that happened in 2020 and then corrected. The concern when we talked about it last year, so several months ago, was simply that these margins between mortgage rates and MBS had been wide and they were narrowing. And as soon as they got narrow enough, then treasury volatility would cause mortgage rates to move higher if treasuries were moving higher. And that's really exactly what's happened in 2021. That 10-year versus mortgage rate spread has stabilized. And the mortgage rate versus MBS spread is still elevated, but it probably should be because of the environment. And it could take a lot longer to get back to where it used to be back in the day. And that adverse market fee obviously isn't going to help things either. So we've soaked up most of the cushion and mortgage rates are beholden to bond market volatility once again. Good information here. But the chart just kind of got my attention. But you're right. We're just re-entered into what hopefully is a normal range. We'll see. But that's why you got to have your screen. I purposely strategically put it back there so everyone go, hey, what's that you got back there? There's so much great information on your screen. Encourage people to check it out. And when you're on there going for the trial period, you get a a double extended period by just putting in LOL for looking on lending. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you. Have a good one. You bet, friend. Always do appreciate you being here. Alice Alvey is here. And so Alice is CMB Vice President of Education Training at Union Hill Mortgage. We usually say we're so grateful that Bill Cosgrove and the team lend her to the podcast here each week so we can get the legislative update. So Alice, I just got to know, yeah, knowing that your boss is on the line and we're going to be interviewing him, does it make you just a little bit nervous? No, Bill doesn't make me nervous, but I do want to make sure I am 
really helping Union Home look good today. That's for sure. You make them look good all the time. You do. Anyway, what's the legislative update? Rob gave us some insights at the opening of the podcast. Any more thoughts? Yeah, I do want to add a little bit to what the MBA, if you've got a chance to dig into the MBA news link a little bit this morning, one of the Mm. things that Rob brought up was about the QM final rule. So just when you think we don't have to talk about Dodd-Frank anymore, there still is more. So if you remember, we talked a little bit about at the end of December that the QM rule was changed. So at that time, it became that on March 1st of 2021, which was last week, there was going to be a new mandatory compliance and change to where we were really using more of an APR as opposed to the 43 DTI. What the CFPB did was extend that. So mandatory compliance, as you heard Rob mention, is pushed all the way out to October of 2022. And so in this interim period now, this notice of proposed rulemaking is something that we'll all take a look at, have a chance to comment on. Uh, As was mentioned, the deadline is going to be October 21st to actually comment. So we've got quite a few months here to be able to get some feedback in. But what's at stake is really understanding how does the QM rule impact our businesses. And with the 43 DTI still being out there for many companies, a lot of it is computer programming, right? We all have software that's relying on that programming. And it's a big change to just all of a sudden say, okay, now I'm going to change that. Now I'm just going to be an APR based. So we're all very grateful for the extension and the chance to go ahead and take a look a little bit further as to what the impact is going to be to the industry. So I just wanted to let everybody know there that that extension was a good thing. Sometimes we're never sure if extensions are good or bad. That one was a good one. The other thing I just also wanted to touch base on for folks was the the latest on the Uniform Residential Loan application, right? We'll all be happy when we don't have to talk about this too much more as every company out there is now trying to get used to the form, adopting it within their origination platforms. And we got a great question from a listener last week, Dave, if you remember. We were talking a little bit back and forth with a shout out to Alcova Mortgage. So thank you for being good listeners. And they brought up a great question about what is the requirement for if you ran a loan under the old 1003 and you used that DU case file in the new platform, did I have to have the new 1003? And the answer is yes. I, I actually have to rerun DU again with the new 1003. So if you're on old 1003, you can stay with an old DU case file. But the minute you change to that new form, you do need to rerun findings, get a new case number, whether it's the URLP, they have error codes and feedback messages. So as we've talked to a couple of our clients in our different business channels, we're just trying to shout out to everyone to make sure you're checking that final thing. There's a few things you'll find loan officers really want some support on. A lot of things that are a little different that are taking people a little bit longer to fill in the application, but not anything monumental. So if you could all just make sure you're offering that help and support to your LOs right now, that's uh, the best way to get over the hurdle with the new form is what we're finding. So last but not least, Dave, I'll give everyone a quick update. Again, we were watching a little bit on that Biden issued an executive order to re-examine the effects of the changes that were made in the fair housing rule for the way disparate impact is going to be treated. So we will watch that closely. The changes that were made were a benefit to a lender in the last administration. So in that change, it did put more onus on the plaintiffs to make sure that they had more evidence if they were going to make a declaration that there was some disparate impact being in place for a certain lender was having in a, any particular cases. There was more onus on them now to come up with some facts behind that. And so now they want to re-examine that to see 
Is that too much? How do plaintiffs actually get access to that is the claim that some of the groups are making. So that's been reopened, put back on the table, and we'll watch that for our listeners going forward this year. But no movement on it yet. Just want you to know it's back open. So that's it for today, Dave. Can't wait to hear more from Bill. I know. Looking forward to having Bill on in just a few minutes. What's interesting about what the Biden's executive order is, is does this signal a new flavor of what this administration is going to be about? And which is the biggest concern we have, are we going to return more to a more aggressive CFPB, which opens the door for, I think, to state audits. So it's going to be real interesting. We've got to pay attention to that. Alice, thank you so much for bringing us, as always, a great report. Now, we're not saying this just because Alice is here, but we do say a big thank you to Union Home for having Alice on there and for the legislative update. So good to have you be a part of the podcast and have been for over 10 years. Amazing. Alan Pollock is here with a tech update. Alan, how are you doing, friend? How's things in Florida? Things in Florida are rainy. Well, they're not rainy today, but they're rainy all weekend. So our hurricane season, right, a couple months away, will pick back mm-hmm. up. And every week will be, uh, am I or am I not evacuating? Which you deal with that as well, David, <laughs> but sometimes. So the life of living at the beach, East yep. Coast, at least, of Florida. So a couple of good things going on. Uh, one, I thought this was really interesting. All this autonomous car and electric cars and all the opinions about when will we be fully electric and Will gas guzzlers go away? Gas prices are on the rise. Anyways, Hummer has just introduced an electronic SUV. April 3rd, it comes to the market. I thought that's kind of interesting because we haven't seen a lot with Hummer in a long time. And Hmm. the fact that they have a giant gas guzzler SUV that will be electric will be kind of interesting. So that's to come. You want to keep your eye out if that's something that you're potentially interested in. In addition, David, I read this great article company online that I read articles on called Tech New World. It's all one word, technewworld.com. They say why it's essential for children to learn how to code. Now, we've talked about in the past financial literacy, especially when it comes to just banking and then mortgage and understanding what you save for and, and how to save all those great things. But think about this, going into the workforce and knowing how to code, being able to manage the systems that are out there, like coding. We're not talking about coding how they work but coding to make them work, right? How to manage, think about even Excel coding, right? All the skills that we know that we need and we wish we did better at. So anyways, this article really talks about that. It's really interesting. If you want to check it out and you're interested in that, it talks about not why to actually teach children to code, but how. How do we teach them? And at what levels do we teach them? Like everybody learns a second language, right? And the question is, does everyone learn how to code at some degree? So take a look at that Tech New World, really good article. David, would you ever have an Amazon Dash Smart shelf in your house? I don't know if you know what it is, but it's a scale that you put in your closet. It looks nice and pretty. It costs like 20 bucks. There's different sizes. You put your products on it. Let's say bottles of Gatorade or Quaker Oats oatmeal. But as you continue to take, it's sending real-time information back to Amazon. It will automatically show you the level of whether you have enough or don't have enough, and you can set the preference of where you want it to reorder. So the question's out on this product. A lot of people are trying it. It's been out about a year now. And what's really interesting is you think about the data. Forget the convenience to the consumer, right? Because a lot of things are convenient. But imagine what it actually does. And how does that translate into everything we do in real estate and mortgage. So David, the question's for you. Would you use an Amazon smart shelf? Yeah, I would. I'd look at it. Imagine being able to detect, David, the fact that someone's about to sell their house because they're stocking up the pantry so it looks good for an open house. 
Well, the, the reason yeah. this comes into play, and people, several people are texting me, says, Bro, what, what's Alan doing talking about Hummers and shells? I love his segment, but what's he doing here? He's taking us somewhere, listeners. Come on, hang in there. It's just showing it's all up. about the convenience, what? right? It's about the t- yeah. right, what we want and the convenience we get and what that provides in analytics. And it's really interesting. By the way, the, the mortgage-centric aspect of one of the news items I wanted to bring up is Experian. And check this company out. It's called Rate Reset. They're going to be collaborating, and it's about data and convenience. And they have something called Power Curve Decisioning, and it's now available through this company called Rate Reset. It's a credit union and bank technology that provides financial institutions the ability to secure those member relationships and build member experiences with online data that can automatically reduce fraud, do instant prequals, and provide them with the ability to retain those customers and those assets. And Experian just tied in with this rate reset technology. Very, very interesting. Think about the data now that's rate reset now has scores, analytical data, and trended data, which we think of like having a left hand and a right hand. We just assume it's part of the left hand of all mortgage technology. But credit unions and banks don't have access to this all the time. They have different technology stacks, and sometimes things are out of reach for a credit union and a bank. So anyways, really interesting about data and Experian. And then, David, we talk about customer experience, why I brought the whole Amazon shelf aspect up. Right. Part of it's about product principles, user interface design, what is convenient for consumers and what provides them instant access, what's fast and efficient for them. We want to set their expectations. We want to provide them with education and we want to provide them with that simple use. And then we have the aspect of our loan officers and providing them with that as well. And product principles really comes down to user interface design and how we present information to those actual users. And the reason I bring up product principles this week is because it's really important as we roll out the new Erla and those new experiences to your borrowers and new experiences to loan officers, it's just so important that we help train those folks and educate them on how to use things effectively. Look what TurboTax did, right? They created Mm -hmm. a wizard approach to being able to do your taxes, a question and answer, logical way to look at it and not be confused. We want to continue down those same paths. And so product principles is really important. The more data we collect, the more data we can use, and the more of that user experience we can support and maintain. So if you're on the fence thinking about what vendors you're going to be looking at for the point of sale or for your loan officers, because you may want to be looking to get them out of the origination system and give them more power to work hand-in-hand and be consultative with those potential borrowers and members. Think of product principles as you look at those different vendors. A lot more. It's a very deep topic. I wanted to scratch on the surface of it, though, and consider user interface design and the roadmap of those vendors you're working with and what they're looking to do and how that aligns with your organization and your approach to education and training. Good job. I knew you were going to get it right back to mortgages. And they're going, he's tying it together. I look at all these comments we're getting in from our listeners, and I think this is one of your friends harassing you through the text. But anyway, good job. Appreciate it. We got a lot of great content on you and you always mix in some extemporaneous things. So it's really about data. Where this whole industry is going is data, data, data. Who has it? Who owns it? It's going to have a distinct, significant advantage off there. Amazon figured it out with the shelf and what they do with all that's going on. That's just really interesting. And I can't wait to launch that next podcast that we have been teasing everyone about forever, but we're actually going to do it now and get into the that's more right. more. Good job. Appreciate it, Alan. Very much for being here. Folks, that wraps up this week's weekly mortgage update. Next week, we've got Chris Dunn coming on with Kinetics, and that is a recruiting firm that's out there. We're going to talk to some recruiters in this journey as we talk 
through how to recruit to some of the top people. We're going to listen to the other side, someone that does recruiting professionally as a lifestyle and a living. We're going to get into and talk to Chris. Very interesting. He has a podcast as well. It's going to be really good. We want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, the CMLA, the MBA, the Indicom, as well as Incelerate, Mobility, MMI, Modex, as well as Knowledge Coupon Lenders One. Thank you so much for being here, and we're thrilled to have you as our listener. Share this with everyone. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.